Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. It is so great having you online with us today. I'm really excited to start speaking to you guys. We're in week number two of our series, Keep the Change. And in this series, we're answering this one big question, how can we keep the change? What do I mean by that? Well, keep the change that God has done in our life. We've journeyed through some series throughout this year, and we have been looking at this one big fact, that when we believe in Jesus, everything changes. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We don't just become better people. We become new people, brand new. We're now His children. And we're asking, asking this question over the next three weeks, and we're in week number two now, what would it look like to keep that change, to continue walking in this new life that I have? Now, just maybe a little small note on that. The truth is that you have been saved through faith, and therefore, if that's the way God changed you, He changed you through faith, it only makes sense that you and I, we continue to live by faith. So what would that mean if we think about the idea of living by faith? Um, I'm having so many discussions with people about this, but I don't think there is a better summary of what it means to live by faith than just looking at the beautiful definition that we get in Hebrews 11 verse 1, where we read the following. You can read with me. It says the following. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And in this little verse, we get two components regarding faith. And to better illustrate it, I have brought with me a chair right here to my left-hand side. And um, in this verse, as I've said, the two components that we get is substance and evidence. So the Hebrew writer tells us that to live by faith, which is actually something we do every day, we put our hope in a substance. And as we walk it out, there is evidence of that hope, of that substance. So let me give you an example with my chair here to my left. Let's say somebody came over to me and said, Lorraine, listen, I got you this wonderful, nice chair, and I want you to sit in it. I think it can be so good for you to enjoy this chair. It's going to hold you. You're going to be able to take a nice rest in it. You're just going to relax. And if I would stand right here where I am now, looking at that chair, telling that person, well, I agree. I agree. That looks like a good chair. It looks nice and sturdy. I think it's, it's good. Am I believing him? Do I believe his word over that chair? The promise that he's given me saying, listen, I promise this chair. Do I believe him or do I just agree with him? It's obvious. I just agree. I'm just saying, yes, I agree with you. But that's not yet faith. Faith is not just agreeing with what that person said. Well, maybe, maybe this is faith. Maybe I walk over. And I go and check out this chair. And I'm thinking, hmm, this looks like a plausible idea. I think this can maybe work. I don't know about you. Maybe you've been there. You're checking out the chair. Am I believing his word or am I only checking out the chair? Just checking it out. So when do I believe? Do I believe now? Do I believe now? As they say, so close. Do I believe now, you see that the moment 
we go and sit. We walk it in out. We trust actively. It becomes the evidence of the things not seen. And in that moment, we see whether this word, this promise of my friend that said, I'm bringing a great chair for you to sit in, if that word is trustworthy, can I actually trust it? So, to explain it best, I believe that to walk by faith is to actively trust in the word of God. You see, we listen to so many voices and we get so many promises every single day and we place our hope in that word. And throughout this series, we want to invite you to look at just three things that I believe will help you to keep the change, but also see lives and the people around you's lives change radically as we continue to walk by faith, putting our trust in the word of God. And the three things we're looking at is this. Firstly, Last week, we looked at the word less is more. This week, we're going to look at giving is good. And the week after that, we're going to look at stress is bad. And we're going to look at how God speaks to us in the context of these three statements. But just before that, Jesus spoke a little bit about faith. And he said the following. He said, if you had faith like a little mustard seed, you would be able to say to this mountain, Pick yourself up and move. And I love this verse. I think it's so powerful. Just the contrast between the small little mustard seed and the massive mountain here on the other side waiting. And just like Jesus says, if you just have this amount of faith. And I don't know about you. Maybe you've heard people speak like this saying, oh, that guy, he has big faith. Look at what he's doing. Well, Jesus said, you don't need big faith. You just need little faith. In a big God. If you have little trust in a big God, you can move mountains. I don't know what mountains are lying before you, but I'm guessing they're far bigger than what you think. So let's dive in for today. We're talking about giving is good. Jesus makes a statement about giving. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I want to read it with you guys. The, he, um, the Acts writer, uh, Luke, writes the following to us. He says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And then he says the words. goes as follows. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to say that again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, giving is good. It's better to give than to receive. That's the statement Jesus makes. Now, that's the word. You and I need to decide whether we're going to be actively trusting God in this word. So it's going to be challenging today. I want you to put on your seatbelt and get ready to be challenged. Because when Jesus speaks, things happen. And wherever he leads, there is always an abundance of life. So when Jesus says giving is good, um, there's actually a reason behind it. And I believe two things that I quickly want to point out. The first reason why I believe giving is good, why it's more blessed to give than to receive, to live generously instead of greedy, I think reason number one is that generosity reminds you and shows you how rich you are. Where greed always tells you how poor you are. I mean, think about it for a moment. 
a greedy person, wherever he walks around. And you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've been there before. I know you guys are perfect on the other side of this computer and you can never be greedy. But let's just imagine for a moment. You know, whenever you're greedy, you think about what you don't have. Just think about it for a moment. You look at other people's stuff and you think, well, I don't have that. And I don't have that. Oh, and I wish I had that iPhone. Oh, and I wish I had the AirPods. Pros. No longer just the normal ones. Everything that you don't have is what greed reminds you of. When the voice of greed speaks to your life, it tells you you don't have. Do you see that it shows you how poor you are? You can be the richest person in the world, but if you're greedy, you are the poorest man on planet. You don't have anything. You just see what you don't have. Where on the flip side, generosity shows us what we do have. When you're a generous person, you think about what can I give? What do I have to add? What do I have to contribute to this person's need, to this moment in time? What can I give? What do I, I have time. I have treasures. I have talents. I'm generous. So that's the first reason why I believe it's good. It makes us rich. We become rich people the more we give. Second reason is um, actually a question that I want to pose to you. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? You see, I've, I've many times received things and it's really amazing. I've received amazing gifts. But I've never bursted out in tears with those gifts. It hasn't really stirred the most emotion in my life. But I can tell you about moments where this has really happened. In fact, I want to tell you about one. Just before I got married, myself and my wife, we were engaged and we're getting ready to marry. And then we received a phone call the one day telling us about an absolutely fantastic deal on a dining room table set. Uh, it's an eight-seater set, which is way more than what we would need. And, it's, and it has a beautiful buffet as well, cabinet with it together. The set is about 40,000 rand worth. Somebody is moving over to uh, another country and they want to sell this and they give it to us, you will never believe it, for 4,000 rand. It's a steal. It's a beautiful peak condition Emboya set. It's just amazing. I remember the day that we actually walked over to the people and we gave them the 4,000 rand. It was on a Saturday after we received the phone call. We went to go and check it out. And then after that, we had a meeting with an amazing couple that we walked a road with with regards to getting ready to be married. And as I walked into their house that day, I experienced so clearly that this thought dropped into my mind, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me at that moment, telling me that this seat is not yours, Lorraine. You have it for someone else. I'm blessing you to be a blessing. And it was for the couple that we walked into that house. So I heard, I heard the voice. But I kind of did what most of us do when this happened. I ignored it a little bit, put it behind me. Just, just like, Jesus, okay, we, we can do this. But are you sure? I'm not sure whether I've heard you. <laughs> Story goes on. We journey further. And then almost a year and a half later, this voice comes back. And it starts speaking. And it starts working in my heart. And it doesn't stop doesn't stop to the point that I call my wife that one morning after a week wrestling with God and this thing just doesn't leave my mind you're blessed to be a blessing and this is not your set you need to bless someone else with it and um, I tell her I think we need to call a meeting are you ready to give and she's immediately says yes 
we call the couple and we see them face to face and we say, listen, guys, sorry for this, but we have experienced this for quite some time now. And we want to give you guys this for free. That dining room set, we're giving it away for free. And I cannot tell you what happened that morning. It was just so special. I mean, to put it over into words, to see their faces, to see what's happening. That morning, the lady looks at us and she tells us that she never had the privilege to have her dad at her wedding day. I never knew this. And she was wrestling with God about that. And she just came back from a meeting with other ladies where she just opened up her heart about the struggle. And the first thing that she gets when she gets back home is this gift. Her words were the following. It feels like my father in heaven says, I was there with you. Guys, do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? Stories that you can share for a lifetime. Stories of life change. It's truly more blessed to give than to receive. And we are blessed to be a blessing. I want to read it to you guys. In 2 Corinthians 9, 11, says the following. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you want to be a blessing in God's hands? Walking around and give. Giving is good. As true as it is that giving is good, I think the next question might come up for most of us when we hear stories that inspires us and we get excited about it. Sometimes it feels easy to give. But when we really need to start giving, there's a big question. If giving is good, why is it so challenging? Why do I struggle to give? Why don't we just give more? If God says it's good, why don't we just give more? Well, I believe there are three reasons why people struggle to give. I'm just going to mention three of them quickly, and we're going to run through them. The first one is some of us, we're struggling to give. And, and here's what I know about you. Everyone wants to give. Everyone wants to make a change. Everybody are looking forward to opportunities to have an impact in this lifetime right now. But we're struggling. Why? Because of one little word, date. We struggle to give because we have too much debt. We're in bondage. We want to give more, but we can't because we are struggling with debt. Guys, this is one of the most, yeah, how can I say this? This is one of the biggest keys that keeps people back from being a blessing because they're stuck in debt. So I want to make it as practical as I possibly can. I want to encourage you to start with the smallest amount of debt that you have and pay it off first, as quickly as possible. And the moment you see that your credit card date is done, just by the way, we use credit cards to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. So I don't even know why we have those babies, but never mind that. So that's just how this culture works. Pay it off, get it done with, and before you know, you don't have it. And the next moment you pay off your car, there's nothing better. The other day I was talking to my grandfather. And um, we just sold a very nice car that we had, and we bought another one. Um, luckily, on my side, it is a paid-off one, and we are so thankful 
So everybody's talking about the car, and I told them, guys, there's nothing better than a car that's paid off. I don't care what car you're driving. If it's paid off, it's an amazing car. So I want to challenge you to pay off and get freedom, get margin in your life so that God can use you to be a greater blessing. That's the first struggle. The second struggle that I've seen with some people is the following. They've heard stories of giving. They've seen people, even people preaching about giving. And this message about being generous, being abused. And there I just want to ask you one quick question. If you go to a restaurant and you have one bad experience at a restaurant, the food wasn't nice, does it mean you should never go to any other restaurant ever in your life again? Will you even make that decision? To everyone here, and I believe if you're looking uh, and, and spending time with me today, it's an obvious no. I've been at many other restaurants even though I've had a bad experience. So don't allow one bad experience to keep you from enjoying the goodness of giving. I just want to say this. In this family, we celebrate this truth. We always get to give. We never have to give. Jesus says it himself. Do not give out of compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Let no one force you. You get to give because you have received. Number three, people struggle, and I've struggled with this many times, a scarcity mentality. I want to give, but it, the more I give, the less I'm going to have. That's what I'm thinking. Every single time I'm going to give, the less I'm going to have. Some of us even grew up by, you cannot give every, anything away. You need to save everything because just maybe you might need it tomorrow. And then we hoard up all of this stuff and everything within us. And the reality is, is in a scarcity mentality, your life starts looking like the Dead Sea. Dead. It becomes dead. And the reason why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea is because there's nothing flowing out of the Dead Sea. There's only things coming in. There's just things coming in. And it hoards up and there's just no life. A scarcity mentality will never leave and lead you to a place of abundance. And in fact, I want to read this to you. Proverbs 11 says the following, the exact opposite of this, the how am I not living like a Dead Sea, but start becoming a life-giving river and God using me to be a life-giving river to everyone around me. Listen to this. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25 says the following. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. So with your scarcity mentality that says, oh, I'm going to give, it's going to get smaller. Not at all. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. I cannot think of a scripture that says it clearer. So, if that's the case, maybe you can identify with one of these three points. And God needs to start working. You need to start trusting God to move in the exact opposite direction. To be faithful with what God is giving you. Creating margin in your life. Trusting God to remove scarcity mentality. And maybe taking a step of faith, even those you have sat under Teaching where this has been abused. Now, I want to help you lastly. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're asking the question today, how then, Lorraine, how can I start growing 
in my generosity? Where do I start? If I want to give, if I want to actually believe God, take that next step, where do I start? I believe the Bible tells us about three components for generosity. A generous life looks like this. Three things. Firstly, tithe. That's where you start. Why tithe? Well, tithing is honoring God for what He has given you. You see, you can only give because you have received. You cannot give what you don't have. And everything you have, God has given. And God says, honor me. Allow me to be the master of your life. Allow me to guide you. Now, when it comes to the story of tithing, when we want to honor God with our tithes and putting him first in our life, I always get this question. How much do we give, Lorraine? Tell me, is it 10% before tax, 10% after tax? How does this whole thing work? Tell me a little bit much. How much should we give? Which is obviously a very challenging subject. To which I always reply, well, guys, I think you're asking the wrong question. Who do we follow? Just ask yourself, who do we follow? I follow, I follow Jesus. And then second question would be, well, then how much did he give? He gave 100%. Of his life. He gave everything. And then usually I reply, well, guys, you can check out the bank statement and make sure here's the banking details. Just organize your 100% of your salary, pay it into the church account. It's going to be great. <laughs> and now I know you're thinking, oh, my word, crazy pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not really what it means. The point is, everything you have belongs to him. And he's asking you to honor him with the first part. Of what you have. Give him your first and your best. So practically, how do I do this? In fact, I'm going to tell you exactly how myself and Clara, how we do it as a, as a couple. So we've decided in faith on a percentage of our income and every month that percentage goes down first. We haven't budgeted for it. We have prayed about it and we've trusted God. And we give that 10% of our income before tax, because I believe God gives me my tax money as well. <laughs> we give that to him. We give it to him first. And then we go and sit and work out our budget. It's a step of faith, and it's the most important thing when it comes to our money. And if you're wondering why, I want to read you the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where he says the following, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know about you, but I don't follow money. I follow Jesus. And every single moment, every month, when I make the decision to honor God and put him in the place that he belongs, that's literally what honoring means, putting someone in the place that they should be, honoring them, he is Lord of my life. I serve him. And if he asks me to put him first in every area, I go for it. I walk after him. I walk by faith. I put him first. And if you ever wondered why, is he made me the treasure of his heart the day that he walked to the cross and said, I want you. I'm willing to give up for you. So that's the first part. 
the first part of starting to live generously is to put God first. To say, money, you are not my boss. I follow Jesus. I don't follow the voice of money. I follow him. That's the statement we make. If you're wondering why we're giving it to the church, in the Old Testament, we see that we, when we want to give to God, we give towards what he's busy with on this planet. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. And in the New Testament, it's his church, his mission to bring his kingdom into this world. That's the agent. That's what he's busy with. That's how we give. That's how we give to God and honor him. The second thing in terms of giving, and this is above our tithes, above and beyond, whatever I'm saying now is an add-on. This is the foundation. This is where we start. This is the moment that we say, our money is going to follow Jesus, not me. I'm following him. So everything I have follows him. I honor him. The second thing we can do, and if you follow Jesus, is missional giving. That's what we call it, missional giving. This is when you give sacrificially. Now, every year, as a family, we look at this and we say, guys, we want to ask you, to give up one or other luxury, to sacrifice, to see God's mission come, be achieved within this city. This is what we dream about. This is what we talk to one another about. We call it our generosity fund. And if you were wondering why sacrificial giving, Jesus sacrificed his life for the mission of God, to see his kingdom come, to bring the kingdom of God into this world. So there is a component to generosity that asks of you and of me to sacrifice, to give up luxuries because there's something that we value more. Generosity fund, sometimes it's an eat out for the family. Instead of doing that once a month, I'm going to give up one and I'm going to get 250 per month into this fund. And I can be so blessed to tell you guys this, that we have been sowing for this month. We are giving and blessing the city of Bloemfontein through our generosity fund with more than 1.1 million rand for the year. What an unbelievable blessing. The generosity of this family. You're part of a generous family, guys. And we want to be a blessing to our city. Then the third one, third part of someone that lives a generous life is someone that sows. We see the principle of sowing in the Bible very clearly, even though it many times get abused. It is still there. And I want to read with you and reflect with you on three principles regarding sowing. Here it goes. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 7. says the following. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all the things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In this portion of Scripture, Paul is telling us, Three beautiful principles regarding sowing. The first one is you will reap what you sow. And if you sow, I mean, just use a basic example of a farmer sowing. If he sows corn, he is not expecting wheat to come up. He's expecting corn to come up. He wants to see a harvest of millies. And sowing has an exponential impact on what we do. And just by the way, I've never seen a farmer 
crying while he's busy sowing. <laughs> there is always excitement and faith and hope to see a great harvest coming in. But whenever you sow, you should expect to reap a harvest. And it's so clear here. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. So whatever we reap, we sow. The second principle, sow is, is a good ground. Whenever you sow, we sow into good ground. I want you to look at it. It's here in verse 8. It says the following. God is able to bless you abundantly. I mean, no farmer sows his precious seed into bad ground. So whenever you sow into an environment, sow into good ground. Look for good fruit, good opportunities. And I cannot think about better ground than the kingdom of God. For his kingdom will last forever. It will never end. Part of the reason why we call our kids Peter, James, and John, and our dogs Caesar, God's kingdom still stands. And it's going to stand forever. I can't think of better ground to sow in than into the kingdom of God. And the third and last principle that I want to point out, it's right here at the end. Having all that you need, principle number three, is sow your seed and eat your bread. Do not sow your bread and eat your seed. Then you will have nothing. So make sure that you look after the needs God has entrusted you to look after. And sow, sow into good ground. As a family, we keep to this principle. We sow out of abundance and we even sow ourselves many times out of trouble. And over this past season, we've had the privilege to just last year alone, sow more than a half a million rand into other ministries. That's not Doxodeo, that God has blessed us to give to other churches and pay salaries for other church leaders. It has been a great blessing to be a part of this family. And we want every single person that's partnering with this family to embrace these truths, truths that sets us free because giving is good. Let's pray. Father, I want to come and pray and ask that whomever is listening, wherever you're busy stirring in someone's heart, faith to follow you, to actively trust you every step of the way, not just to agree with what you say, and also not just to check out maybe what you're saying, but to really go and sit in that chair and say, Dad, I trust whatever you say. And Holy Spirit, wherever you're busy working in someone's heart at this moment, I pray that you would stir up in our hearts faith as we look to your generosity, as we see that you didn't hold back anything when you gave your son. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.